Life by Divine with Sue Tomei fosters deep healing and profound awakenings as she guides you to hear, answer, and trust the highest calling of your heart. Your host and sacred guide is global impact visionary leader Sue Demay, a best-selling author, international speaker, and gifted intuitive healer who challenges all of us to shift from life by default or even life by design to truly living life by divine. And now, here is Sue Demay. Welcome, everybody. I'm excited to be here with you again this week for Life by Divine. And today's topic is is really near and dear to my heart because it's it's principles that I live and breathe every moment of my life. They're the 10 life principles that help us shift consciousness from head to heart. And I call it heart-led living. It's part of one of my my other books. And this book is based on my life and all the principles that really help me stay in my heart, in my heart space. The one question I get from a lot of people is how do I know it's my heart versus my head? So the discernment between heart and head is, is essential in, in being clear that we're actually leading with the heart. So today I'm going to share the 10 principles and go into them a little bit. And they're from my book, Heart-Led Living, When Hard Work Becomes Heart Work. And last week we were talking about the concept of the right and wrong. When we fight to be right, we will always feel wrong. And that actually came from my book, Stand Up, Stand Out, Stand Strong, A 30-Day Guide to Navigate Life When the Shift Hits the Fan. So that one is my most recent book. Heart-Led Living is, is a foundation that everything is built upon in my life and in all, in all my work. So I love that today the guidance came in for me to share the 10 principles with you. And as we dive deep into them, my encouragement for you, the invitation is to take one or two, maybe three, and bring them into your life and integrate them. So it's one thing to hear about them. It's one thing to understand them at the level of the mind. And then it's another to actually bring them in and integrate them and understand them at, at all levels, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and energetically. So it's more about creating an understanding of the principle, inviting it into your life, seeing how it's playing out, seeing how it's not playing out in your life. Where is it needed more? Where do you need to practice it more? And then the, the, the invitation and intention to integrate it. And that goes with anything we, we listen to when we're listening to an audio, when we're listening to a radio show, when you're listening to this radio show or others, when you're reading books, anything you're doing, there's always an invitation to have an understanding of it and then to invite it and integrate it. Now, it can be overwhelming in today's society. There's a lot of resources out there. There's there's tons of podcasts, there's tons of radio shows, there's lots of YouTube videos. You can pretty much search any topic and find a whole bunch of information, pages and pages of, of Google searches on one single topic. And it can be overwhelming. So how do you navigate through all of that overwhelm or through the, the vast amount of resources that are available to us today? Being heart-led is one of those ways that can save you a lot of time, can save you a lot of energy, 
And it actually ends up saving a lot of money. And I know for me, I've saved a lot of money since I started to be more discerning and allowing my heart to lead me to the resources and the workshops and the trainings and all those kinds of things. Before I would just kind of jump in and do everything. And now it's a practice of actually stopping and tuning in and asking my heart to lead versus my head. So what we're able to do when we bypass the mind and shift into the heart and let the heart take lead is we're actually able to receive the true guidance, the truest guidance for our soul, what's for our highest good in this moment. And when we tap into that guidance, it's actually serving everyone everywhere all around us. And the invitation is to trust and remember that naturally we're meant to lead the heart. It's a natural experience for us. When we're born, we are born naturally trusting and leading with our intuition. You can call it intuition. You can call it gut instinct. You can call it your heart. You can call it your soul. You can call it your spirit. I have several different ways of describing it. I often call it the inner spirit and the heart. The heart and the inner spirit are the same. They whisper to us. They guide us. They lead us. And it's that bridge The heart is the bridge between our human experience, our humanness, and our divinity, God, soul, spirit, source, whatever word resonates for you. So as you're listening to my episodes or anything else, the invitation is always about taking what resonates and integrating that and letting everything else go. And you may end up coming back to this episode several times because you want to dive deeper into one of the other principles or you want, you've already dove, dove deep into one and you feel like you've integrated it. Then there's, then, then there's the opportunity to come back to the show and listen to the replay and move into the next principle and integrate that. It's taking time for that. So the book is heart led living when hard work becomes heart work. And there, each chapter is a principle. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the principles with you and describe them and give you some examples of how they play out and how you can potentially integrate them. So the book is designed to to support you in doing that when I'm going to do that here in the show. And as you're listening, listen with your inner ear. Imagine tuning in and letting your heart kind of take the information and guide you from there. Now, obviously, I'm giving you an understanding at the level of the mind. We're working at reprogramming, unprogramming, unlearning, unwinding the mind. That's our programming that that is no longer serving or that is based on fear. And it's something that all of us have experienced and all of us have been exposed to over the years and continue to be exposed to. So it's an ongoing practice of remembering to trust our intuition, to trust our heart to lead us. And what others think and believe about us and our lives isn't always true. And what we believe and think about our own lives is not always true. So we have to be able to practice discernment, practice awareness, being able to drop in and see, does this resonate for me? How is this true for me? 
is it still my truth? Is it actually something that is actually serving me that I will carry forth? Or is it something that I need to let go of? So sometimes we bring things and we have things that come into our life and it's purposeful for a time and it supports us for a time. Perhaps as a young child, it was a way of kind of keeping yourself safe or feeling protected. Perhaps it was a way to manage or move through fear or trauma. So there's things that we actually acquire along the way that in some way served us at the time, at the level of consciousness we were operating at, it served us in a way. And then there's a time where there, we need to let it go. It's no longer serving. It becomes what I call history anchor. A history anchor is something that we can kind of drag along for a while, but ultimately at one point or another, we'll get to the end of the chain. And then we feel kind of stuck in that trauma or stuck in that wound or stuck in the past somewhere. And clearing the history anchors is part of the process. Heart-led living allows you to get into the heart space and identify what it is that's meant to be on your path to support your deepest healing. And when you are able to heal all the blocks to love and you're able to heal your old wounds and clear all the past kind of history anchors and, and uh, things that are holding you back, we're able to follow our heart and trust our intuition again. So really it's a process of remembering to trust because we are born trusting. You can simply watch a child play, a young baby play, and you can see that they're just trusting their intuition. They're just following, following just a natural observing kind of energy. And there's a beautiful flow to, to how they interact with the world. And then they're programmed over time to distrust, to think about it, don't feel into it. We're, they're taught to analyze it or, you know, let's weigh the pros and cons. So we're taught to actually get out of the heart and into the head. And the journey back into the heart isn't always easy. And some of these principles may sound simple, but they're not always easy to integrate. So have some compassion, have some love, invite some tenderness towards yourself and, you know, be encouraging towards yourself and start with one or two principles and see how it goes. And one or two of these you might already have an understanding of, but the invitation is then to integrate it or bring it into one area of your life, perhaps that you've been avoiding bringing it in, or you haven't even thought about bringing it in. So let's dive in. The first chapter is be willing to heal. The first principle is be willing to heal. So our willingness to heal is essential on this path to awakening and to aligning with our heart yes and really embodying our soul script, being able to say yes to the role that we're meant to play in, in this world. Being willing to heal means that we are willing to listen deeply to the physical body and the symptoms and the signals that it's giving us, our willingness to feel our emotions, our willingness to look at our minds and look at our thoughts and see how our mind is actually keeping us stuck or held in kind of a loop or a hamster wheel. Our willingness to heal is essential. So when you look at healing, I want you to recognize that healing at the level of the mind 
happens in many different ways. And there's many different paths to get there. I happen to go through the body to heal the mind. That's my path. I, I can tune into people's emotions. I can tune into people's physical sensations. I can sense and detect illnesses and diseases in the body. And I often go through the body and then identify where the root cause is. And the root cause can often be in a thought as well. So our willingness to kind of trace it back to the thought or belief or a willingness to kind of trace it back to the root is essential in helping us align with the path that we're meant to take. So our choice to heal, we're here as these spiritual beings having a human experience. And in that humanness, we have the right to choose our own free will. So there's our human will. And there's our higher will, or our soul's will, or God's will for our life. And ultimately, the truth is we are actually in alignment with that higher will. But at the level of the human experience and the human mind, we need to be willing to choose healing. I'm willing to heal the thoughts and beliefs that are no longer serving. I'm willing to heal my physical body. I'm willing to heal and feel and express my emotions in order to free myself from those emotions and that density. So our willingness to heal is key. And our spirit or our soul can't intervene without the human will acknowledging, yes, I am willing to heal. I'm willing to say yes to healing. So as we say yes to healing, we can look at how it shows up in our lives. And often what happens is we kind of get these little taps on the shoulder and these little taps on our shoulder can be resistance in some form. And often it's in the physical body. So we can have an emotional upset or we can have a, a physical feeling or sensation in the body. And if we learn to actually really listen to the subtleness and get more attuned to the subtleness, we'll actually start to catch those nudges when they're just like feathers or taps on the shoulder. If we ignore that tap on the shoulder, then it gets a little bit more of a push or shove, sometimes maybe a punch in the shoulder. And if we ignore that, then we may end up hitting a wall or getting the metaphorical two by four. And that's where if it's a shoulder thing, someone actually might end up with frozen shoulder or they might end up with a dislocated shoulder or some other shoulder injury. So the body actually speaks to us constantly. It's actually constantly whispering to us and giving us guidance and showing us where our leftovers are and what still needs to heal. Our willingness to actually listen and tune in and create space for that awareness is essential in healing what's left over in the physical body. The next principle is choose love. I mentioned this in an earlier episode, but I'm going to go into it again here so we have a clear understanding and a foundation. In every moment, I know many of you might have heard this before, in every moment we're making a choice for fear or for love. And in that choice, I see two teachers. There's the ego that teaches fear, and then there's spirit that teaches love. So spirit becomes this symbol of a bridge between our humanness and our divinity, or our humanness and the divine God, spirit, our soul, whatever it is. So it's, it's that, that higher self 
and the lower self. And when we're able to make a conscious choice for love, then what we're doing is choosing spirit as our teacher. Again, we have to remember that we have a programmed, filtered mind, and everything is being filtered through that programming of fear. So when we're trying to make decisions at the level of the human mind, it actually limits the perspective we can hold, and it limits the choices that we believe we have. When we let go and offer, ask spirit to guide us, like, show me the way, show me what love would do here, how would love respond, what would a choice for love look like, then that allows the divine to to communicate with us and, and to work with us on that human level. So a choice for love and fear. Now we go a little bit deeper and I'll kind of teach the principles at the foundation level. And then, then there's a whole advanced level of the, the principles kind of going beyond the principles, but I won't go too far into that. So I don't want to overwhelm you with the, with the ideas. But again, remember, take what resonates today because what resonates today may be different than the next time you listen to this again. And when you come back to it, you might actually hear something that you couldn't hear the first time because we've kind of removed a layer or a filter in the mind. When we look at love and fear, I love that there's a lot of teachings about a choice for love and a choice for fear. And every moment we're either choosing one or the other. And I love that. It's a great concept. And I really appreciate going a little bit further. So I'm going to give you this piece because I feel like you're ready to go a little bit further with the idea that there is actually no fear other than in our program mind. And it's actually, when we see fear in the world, it's actually a call for love. Now, this is from A Course in Miracles. So there's, there's love and a call for love. So instead of saying there's love and fear, there's love and a call for love. Now, at this time where the shift's hitting the fan and, and everything's getting uncovered and everything's coming up for healing for all of humanity, it's, it's helpful for us to recognize that the fear, the violence, the hatred, and everything that's happening in the world right now is actually underneath it is all a call for love. So instead of meeting the hatred with fear or the violence with fear, we can actually meet it with love. And making a choice for love doesn't mean that it sounds kind and it, it sometimes actually means that we're quite stern and solid and that we, we kind of uh, stand up for ourselves or stand up for somebody else. So a choice for love doesn't mean it's going to look loving. And sometimes it actually can sound very stern or very, it can even sound like yelling sometimes to get people's attention. So really it's about, let me have the words, invite, uh, you invite that, that spirit to work through you. Give me the words and give me the way the words need to come out so that this person can actually hear and, and receive the message in the way that they need it. And how they need it is not always how we think they do, how they need to hear it. The third principle is hold your light. I love this one. Now, I love all of them, but this one, it really, it's, it's, these are principles that, that I've embodied and, and hold your light is still one that I'm working on. It's a work in progress. And the, the idea of hold your light is, can you stand up inside yourself and feel solid no matter what's going on around you? 
can you hold the high note or hold the light while others are in their space of darkness or expressing dark thoughts or, or heavy emotion? Can you meet them with compassion and tenderness even in those dense emotions of hatred or grief or loss or helplessness? Holding your light is in some ways people can interpret it as, as being inferior, superior, kind of that superior, inferior experience, but it's not. It's actually a willingness to hold your intention of love, hold your light, and at the same time hold space for others to have their expression and to be where they are and, and, and love them anyways. So if they're in fear, that's okay. If they're in, in a space of anger, if they're feeling grief or loss or helplessness, we can hold our light and not feel like we need to go down and meet them there. It's a very different experience and it's a, it's a tricksy one to integrate. I'm, I'm going to invite you to practice it. The other piece with hold your light is when other people don't agree with what you're saying or when others are triggered by what you're saying or doing or others judge you. And I, I love the, the idea of having things be water off a duck's back. So you notice that when ducks go underwater and they come back up, the water just beads off their feathers. They don't get wet in underneath. And that's really how I see a lot of times when things happen outside myself or when people are projecting their stuff on me or, you know, perhaps I'm, I'm a symbol of what's possible for them and, and that makes them feel bad in some way then they project it on me as lame or whatever it is. I don't, I don't, I do my best not to take that on because it's not about me. It's about them. And so what I see is, is I see their projections coming toward me. And then I imagine them water off a duck's back, like just falling off me, like not, not even impacting me and not even necessarily reaching me. Sometimes I actually feel like I have more of a filter out further from my physical body. So there's like a filter outside my more in my energy field around me so I can see and I can have compassion and I can witness them but I don't need to take on their stuff and I don't need to take ownership of what they're projecting on me and I can allow that to be water off a duck's back now if someone says something and I'm triggered by it then that's my stuff then that's my that's what I need to look at that's what I need to clear and and there, if there's a trigger, if there's a, a hit, if it feels like oh, like there's a wound there that so someone's poking at it, then there's some leftovers that I need to look at within me. So there's water off a duck's back and you actually genuinely can feel that and sense that and honor that. Or there's when it gets in and it hits you, then there's something for you to look at. So holding your light is about being the fullest expression of yourself in this world unapologetically without being arrogant it's being it's standing with unshakable confidence without feeling superior to another because that's where the spiritual ego comes in and that's a tricksy one to unwind from and in in the process of awakening 
everyone has the experience of the spiritual ego because the spiritual ego, this the ego itself will evolve as you evolve because it's its survival depends on it. So it finds a way. It's very tricksy and it, it evolves and finds a way. It finds the language of love itself and pretends to be love, but it's fear. So when we hold our light and when we're really standing solid in that, we can do that from a place of loving guidance, feeling heart-led and in alignment, or we can feel like we're puffing up our feathers like the peacock and feeling like we're better than. So there's two levels that you'll need to look at. There's two, two sides of that, that discernment is, is really essential. So discernment is the ability to identify when you are heart-led and when you are not, when it's heart versus head. Discernment is really essential as well when you're looking at is this spirit or is this ego. The fourth principle is take inspired action only. And I'm going to share about this one and then we're going to take a short break to give you kind of little sound bites of these. But take inspired action only is the idea of letting the action come from within, from your heart versus from your head. So I know many of you can probably make a big long to-do list or a big long task list and, and that would all be a head process. When we are taking inspired action, there's an action that comes from within that's like, it's like a nudge or it's like a gentle kind of guided, guided hand towards something. It's a feeling, it's an expansiveness, it's a yes towards something. Inspired action is a very beautiful feeling of supportive movement towards something without the attachment of the outcome. Inspired action can look like no action in which the ego will come in and convince us that we're procrastinating. It'll convince us that we're being lazy or that there's something wrong, but sometimes inspired action is no action. And being able to discern between ego action, what the ego wants us to do, or operating from a place of fear, I should get it done, the shoulds, the woulda, shoulda, couldas, and those kinds of energies are usually forced or pushing or forcing in some way, and they don't feel the same as inspired action. Inspired action feels like a movement toward, like a force kind of drawing us towards something. It's like a yes toward it. And often forced action feels like we have to or we should or that sort of thing. Now, taking inspired action, sometimes we are resistant to what we're meant to be doing. Sometimes we're resistant. So it, it's not always that easy flow, expansive feeling. Sometimes our heart is leading us towards something and then we feel resistance. And I talked about resistance in the first episode when we talk about the gap between the, what the mind thinks and the heart knows. That's resistance. Resistance can show up as behaviors. It can show up as avoidance. It can show up as procrastination. It can show up as illness. It can show up as physical sensations in the body. There's lots of things that, that resistance can show up. So the bigger the gap between what the mind thinks and what the heart knows, the bigger the gap between what you think you should do versus what 
your heart is leading you to do, the bigger the resistance you'll feel or the bigger the resistance will show up. So we're going to take a short break. And when I come back, I'm going to go through the last six principles for heart-led living. And these principles are helping us shift consciousness from head to heart. And you're listening to Life by Divine, and we'll be right back. Are you looking for a career that will make your heart sing? Do you feel deeply and easily discern others' needs, hidden hurts, emotions, and blind spots? And you want to use your intuitive gift to guide others to greater success and faster healing? Sue DeMay's 10-month Intuitive Coding Certification Program will help you become a clear channel for healing energy and intuitive insights. This program is designed for those who feel a deep calling to do their own heart work while learning to inspire and guide others to do the same. Our once-a-year enrollment is now open, with a limited number of spots available for our October 2nd start date. Apply today at heartledliving.com slash become a coach. Welcome back. You are listening to Life by Divine, and I'm your host, Sue Dunay. I've been going through the Heart Led Living principles from my book, and we are on the fifth principle. The Heart Led Living principles are designed to shift consciousness from head to heart. The fifth principle is fill your heart first. I love this principle for many reasons. One, because I, I learned this lesson the hard way, and I learned that giving and giving and giving and giving and giving to the point of depletion was not serving me or anyone else. And I had to learn, I had to hit the, 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 the wall. I definitely hit the wall and I had um, to heal myself from cancer. And in that experience, this lesson came in really, really clearly. Learning to fill my heart to the point of overflow so that I could actually give from the overflow. So fill your heart and give from the overflow was, was the idea was not an easy process for me as, as a woman, I was programmed to give and give and give and give some more and give more until I had nothing left to give. And then I would kind of crash and then I would recover and then I would start giving and giving even before I even managed to, to bring up my reserves again. At the same time, I was so passionate and so excited to help other people and wanted so desperately to help others that I, I really, I couldn't understand the idea of receiving while I was giving and the drive to give, the drive to extend, the drive to help was so, so strong within me and I never really learned that receiving was important. I never even thought of the idea of, of letting myself have that, that, that space to recuperate or to rejuvenate and to rest. So fill your heart first is one of those lessons. I think that one of these principles that everybody needs to integrate at this point. And a lot of people are, are taught, we're taught that, being that self-love is being selfish, that taking care of yourself is being selfish. And it's, it's actually not. 
it's taking care of yourself and putting yourself first and filling your heart first is actually self-love. It's a choice for love. And when we make that choice for love for ourselves, we're actually inspiring others to do the same. So when I became a mother, the last thing I wanted to do is teach my kids how to give and give and give until they fall apart, until they have nothing left. That self-sacrificing giving is not sustainable. It's, it's actually, it's not a choice for love towards self. And if it's not a choice for love towards self, how can it possibly be a choice for love for others? Because what we're doing is giving from a place of fear or obligation or, or sacrifice, and, and that's not serving. So filling your heart first and giving from the overflow is the only sustainable way to be of service in the world. So the whole idea of self-sacrifice, being of self-sacrificing service or being of self-service, I call it more being of self-fulfilled service. So it's filling your heart, filling your cup, and then extending. That's the sustainable way. And I know this is a more challenging principle for women. And there's a lot of men out there too that can relate to this, but I know for women, we're really taught that we need to give and give and give. And that receiving is more challenging. So even take a moment to look at your relationship with giving and receiving. How do you feel about, how do you feel about receiving? Is it easy to give as it is to receive? Do you find it harder to receive? Do you feel that your heart is open to receive? So even in this moment, if you feel that it's not, can you open it up a little bit? Can you soften it just a little bit and say, oh, I'm willing to open up my heart a little bit more to receive? The other thing that really helped me is to actually start to see that giving is receiving and receiving is giving. It's a two-way street. It's not a one-way street where we give, give, give. It's a give and receive at the same time because in the extension, we're actually receiving. This is how the, the law of the universe works. When we give love, we receive love right away. But if we're close to love, where does it go? We don't receive it. It's like putting an unwrapped gift on the table beside you and not receiving it. I often look at it as we have these spiritual banks. And if there's anything on a human level, we're not open to receive. It goes into our spiritual bank. And trust me, everyone's spiritual bank is quite full right now and overflowing with all the things that we've been asking for. And it's a matter of opening our hearts and opening our, our entire beingness to receive where we can allow actually the abundance that's there already for us to come into our lives. The sixth principle is be open to anything. And by be open to anything, I mean be open to anything. This is where we can open up the mind and allow us to create a breakdown in some of those filters in the mind. When we think we know, or when we think we don't know, the mind is closed. The moment we open up to, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm open, I'm curious, I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm willing to explore it. We also open up to the idea that maybe we don't know what's best for us. On a human level, we certainly don't because we're working within a, a limited perspective. But our heart actually has the big perspective. Our heart has that connection to our source, to, to spirit, to the divine. And 
it actually can see the perfection that's playing out. It can see the beautiful orchestration that's happening for our lives, individually and collectively as humans. And it's operating on all of our behalf altogether all at once. So when we're open to anything, we let go of what we think we know and we open up to whatever the guidance is. And sometimes the guidance comes in through our heart and it surprises us. Sometimes if we're sitting and we're asking our heart, should I do A or B? And we're not really open to anything, then, then because we have the right to choose a free will, spirit will be, well, if you're only giving me the option between A and B, then, then A is the best choice for you right now. But I do have this other path that would be really cool and full of miracles if you're willing to be wide open. So when we ask limited or closed questions to spirit, it actually limits the answers we can get. When we ask, what would you have me do? And we're open to anything, then spirit can actually guide us and we can actually get the information and the guidance from the heart that's for our highest good at that time. If we have already a closed mind or an idea of what is possible for us, then we're kind of working within that limitation. We're kind of asking spirit to work within that limitation. When we're open to anything, we can ask open-ended questions and receive answers. That might surprise us. Often, most of them often surprise me. The guidance that comes through comes through for me often surprises me when I'm wide open to anything. Being wide open to anything is also allowing abundance to come in in any form it's meant to. So if we have an idea, if we think, oh, I'm going to start a program or I'm going to launch this or I'm going to get a job and, and that's how I'm going to you know, be abundant, financially abundant, then if there's another plan, if there's something else that's out there and available to us, then we're kind of closing the door on that. I was working with a client recently and I, and I said to her, she was looking at adopting a, a child, a baby. And I, I just said, I feel like you need to just open all the doors and open all the windows and turn all the lights on and be just wide open to anything and let whatever's meant to come towards you, come towards you. And I really like that image and I continued to use it for myself. It's just like open all the doors, open all the windows and just be wide, wide open to anything that's meant to be on your path at this time. And it really shifted a lot in me around certain situations in my life that I was really trying to still figure out in my head and kept going between head and heart. So that's be open to anything. Be curious is connected to be open to anything. This is the seventh, seventh principle. And this one is about an openness to the mind being willing to try on different perspectives, but again, not having that judging filter to go through. So curiosity actually dissolves judgment in the mind. When we have a curious mind, we have actually have an open mind. And so the, the levels of curiosity that I take people through is the first level of curiosity is I don't know, and it's okay. That's that level of acceptance. I don't know, and it's okay. It's not a defeat. It's an acceptance. I don't know and it's okay. I think I know. I think in my head, I think I know, but I don't know and it's okay. Except. Then we shift to I don't know, but I'm curious. 
that opens up for guidance. It opens up the mind for some other perspective, some other path. And I don't know, but I'm curious, creates space for guidance. Then we shift to, I don't know, and I'm glad. And that, that was my favorite one when that came in. So initially it was, I don't know, and it's okay. And then I don't know, but I'm curious. When I don't know and I'm glad came in, I was so like relieved. I, it was like, yes, thank God. I don't have to figure this out. I don't need to, to analyze and, and try and make everything happen. It's a surrender. It's a let go. It's like a, a trust in the universe to guide you and lead you and your heart to, to direct you. And it only directs us moment to moment. And that's the beautiful thing. When we are curious, we actually are curious to try on different perspectives and to try to, and be open to different paths, paths that maybe in our mind we wouldn't have thought about or thought of. So I don't know. And I'm glad also gives me just a freedom to just not, not have to, to think and not have to try and effort and force that doesn't work anymore anyways. So it, it was real relief and it was actually quite a light feeling when we can embrace the idea. I don't know. And I'm glad now you might not get there right away. So, so start with, I don't know. And it's okay. Or I don't know. And I'm curious and see where you get from there. The eighth principle is be attached to nothing. This is a challenging principle for a lot of people. So I would encourage you to, if you're going to try this one on take it, take it, take it for a ride for a little while and see there might be certain areas of your life where it's easier to, to integrate and other areas where it's more challenging. In, in my book, Heart Led Living, I, I speak about death and our attachment to people and relationships. And it was a really challenging chapter for me to write because it was shortly after I lost my grandfather. And but when we talk about be attached to nothing, I mean nothing. I mean no humans, no, no, no valuables, no articles, no animals like attached to nothing. Now, people might think that's like attached to nothing, kind of becoming detached or or compartmentalizing, but that's not what it is. It's like our attachment actually represents the ego. The ego is placing meaning on those things. And if we don't have those things, then who are we? So who are we without that relationship? Who are you without that, that title? Who are you without that label? Who are you without the car? Who are you without the house? Who are you without the success? All those things need to be looked at. So be attached to nothing is number eight. Number nine is leave with your heart. When we lead with our heart, it's essentially asking the mind to take the passenger seat and the heart to take the driver's seat. When we make a choice to lead with our heart, what we're asking is for spirit to guide us in every moment of every day and every decision. This is how I live my life. Whether it comes to what I'm going to eat for dinner, whether the choice is you know, what am I going to do next? What would you have me do? If I'm going to have a shower, if I'm going to speak on a certain stage, if I'm going to say yes to an event, all of the decisions, every single small one and every single big one are all made with my heart. And I'm, I'm asking from that place because I know that 
the, the connection between my heart and the divine is, is operating on behalf of everyone. Now, sometimes the guidance that comes through my heart is challenging for me to integrate. Sometimes it means me saying no, and that's not always easy. And sometimes it means me doing something that scares me, and that's not always easy either. But I know from my experience and from my experience with thousands of my clients that leading with their heart is being of service to everyone, including them. Most people are leading with their head. Most people have their head driving the car and their heart in the passenger seat. And my invitation for you is to imagine letting your heart take the driver's seat and letting the mind come over and take the passenger seat. When we let the heart lead, we allow the mind to be used as the tool it was intended to be. The mind wasn't intended to be the leader. We were programmed to let the mind lead. We're taught that. But our true nature is actually to be heart-led, to be intuitive. We're intuitive beings. And when we allow the heart to lead and we allow the mind to take the passenger seat, the mind becomes the tool that it's meant to be. And it actually calms down. It quiets down. because so The mind just needs a task. It wants something to do. It needs a task. And if its task is to listen for the heart to speak and to follow directions, then that's what it'll do. Now, again, it sounds really simple, not easy to integrate because we've been trained the opposite. We've been trained to think about things. Our mind is very busy. It's been trained to analyze and to continue to kind of loop through things. So it does take some time to unwind that pattern in the mind. And there are specific tools that I teach a lot in the book, and then I'll be sharing with you over the, the weeks we're together with the radio show that can help you get out of your head and into your heart. And in doing that, the mind actually begins to calm down. The final principle is the principle 10, which is expect miracles. Now, these principles are, are in this order for the reason that that's how they came out for me. And just to share a miracle, actually, when I was writing this book, I, I wrote the book and my publisher and my writing coach at the time said, don't worry about starting with chapter one and working to chapter 10, just go wherever you feel guided to write. So kind of wrote the book in chunks and, you know, I write chapter five and then I go back to chapter one. So I had a, a map that I was following some, some subtitles and chapter titles and I wrote all the book. And at the end, the very end, as I was finishing the final chapter which I thought was the final chapter which was chapter nine I spit these principles out and I'm like 10 principles be willing to heal choose love hold your light they all kind of listed out at the end of the document and then I, I went away and I had some treatment so I had a, a rare mm, toxicity and I came back and I realized oh there's another chapter so I wrote chapter 10 and Curiously enough, my editor, I didn't think about the principles at the end. They were just spit out at the end. My editor actually came back to me and said, oh, what were you going to do with these principles? Were you going to expand on them? Were you going to do something with them? I'm like, I'm not sure. They just kind of came out at the end. I'm not sure what they're to do. What do you, what do you feel? And she's like, okay, well, sit with, sit with this for a minute. Try this on. And she said, what if the principles are the chapters? 
And immediately I felt this huge resistance and I, I felt like I wanted to push her away from me because I was so done with writing this book. I just wanted to be done. I wanted it to be off to the publisher and I just wanted to finish, like get this off my plate. I didn't want to write anymore. And I said, okay, I, I need to sit with, I need to sleep on this. Let me sleep on it. She's like, okay. So I went to sleep that night and I woke up at four in the morning. I got pushed out of bed. And I went down to my computer and I started to look at the chapter, chapter content and the principles. And literally I wrote down, be willing to heal chapter one. And it fit all the stories and the whole concept of what that chapter was. Chapter two, choose love. It fit everything in there. It was every chapter was actually totally in alignment with these principles. And I had no idea until I looked at it this way. The only thing I changed is I moved one story only because it actually applied to two different principles. And it could, it could have been in either chapter. That was the miracle of me allowing the book to come through and then being willing to listen to my, my editor who was kind of coaching me through the, the, the editing part of it and my willingness to hear what she had to say and then to try that on to move through my resistance and to actually really tune into my heart. I realized it was already taken care of. It was such a miracle to actually come out and go, wow, I didn't really have to do much. It was already in place. Those chapters were already the principles. And it was really fascinating to see that come together. When we look at expect miracles, that's the only expectation I have. I have no expectation at all. I do my best to have no expectations. And my only expectation is to expect miracles. Now, a miracle, according to A Course in Miracles, can be a shift from fear to love, a shift in perspective from fear to love. A miracle can be measured in many different ways, small miracles, big miracles. Every miracle is worth celebrating. It doesn't matter how big or small it appears on a human level. Every miracle is worth celebrating. And a miracle, something as, as simple as having an awareness and making a conscious choice for love is an act for love. That's a miracle. Celebrate it. Here you're listening. Maybe you have some space that opened up and you're listening to this episode and something resonates and you're like, oh, there's an aha moment you have or something that really kind of captures you. That's a miracle. Celebrate it. The energy of celebration around miracles actually allows more miracles to come in. Because the joy and celebration of miracles attracts more miracles. The challenging part, I think, for most people is that miracles are happening all the time, every day, in every way, but we don't see them. We're so busy looking at what's not working or what still has to be done or, you know, what's next on the list that we don't even stop to celebrate our successes or celebrate the miracles as they, as they arrive. And I love doing this throughout the day, but also at the end of the day, just take a moment at the end of the day and stop and say, okay, what are two or three miracles that I can celebrate right now? And just bring the feeling of gratitude into your heart for those miracles. And when you start to do that, you actually start to see more and more miracles that come. I was walking down the street just the other day and I saw someone, I saw someone smile at another person. And then I saw that person look at me and smile and then I smiled. It's like, it was like a just a little contagious smile. It was something so small. And it made me pause yesterday because I was reminded of it again. 
and someone walked by me and her hair was like beautifully colored and her clothes were so colorful. And I just, I loved it. So I looked at her and then I turned back and I said, no, look back. And I looked back at her, I made eye contact and I smiled just like a smile, like, oh my God, I love your color. I didn't say it out loud, but I said that with my smile and she smiled back. And it was just like, it was just a really neat connection, just a miracle of connection. Something so small can make a difference in someone's life. And celebrating miracles every day is such, such a great way to experience more miracles. So I will leave you today with a quote, one of my favorite quotes from Albert Einstein. And we can look at every situation in life as, as a miracle. And I, I just want, I want you to see that I see you as a miracle. You are a miracle. You're here living, breathing miracle and your life matters. There's an essential role that you have to play in this world and your willingness to play that role will impact the world on a global level. I'm excited to be here with you and I'm, I have lots to share and I'm excited each week to be able to bring these ideas and these concepts into your heart and into your life. And my prayer for you, my intention for you is to make a conscious choice to integrate, to bring these things in and bring them into your life in a way that will actually empower you and inspire others as well. So we're all here to unite in love for each other and our planet. And we each have an essential role to play as we come together. And your role is essential. And I'm honored to be on this path with you and to imprint your heart in one way or another each week through these episodes. I love you. I see you. I honor you. Namaste. You've been listening to Life by Divine with your host, Sue DeMay. Shift your consciousness from head to heart and enliven your soul as you discover how to lead with your heart and live your own life by divine. Join Sue in the growing global heart-led living community at heartledliving.com. That is heartledliving.com. 